Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hey, it's me, Melissa. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by No More Guilt with Melissa Landry. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation meant for educational purposes. Look, we're dietitians, but we're not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're looking for the process, support, and focus you need to live life without food guilt, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into one-to-one programs, group programs, and I recently added a do-it-yourself format, the Ex-Dieter's Guide to No More Guilt. Apply for a program at melissalandrynutrition.com. I'll hope to meet you soon. Have you heard that you need to love your body, but feel completely lost how to start doing that? Especially if you've been dieting since you were a teen, you probably learned your body was all wrong. I want to ask about you, an adult right now. How do you feel about your body? Body image lives on a spectrum. And if you feel like right now you don't like it very much, that's okay. We can start there. Many worry you need to love your body in order to be successful in this work. We hear all the time that feels impossible. We want to let you know, if it's refreshing to hear, you don't need to love your body to find peace and calm around food. Today, we're going to talk about how to work toward body neutrality. That is respecting your body so you don't feel so much guilt and you can give yourself the love you deserve. We're going to describe how to imagine body image on a spectrum. And then we're going to cover some tips for you to go from there. But we hope that you have an open mind and you think a little bit about what could be a small and simple next step to start respecting your body. One more thing, Sula. We know how hard you are working to break the diet cycle out there. We appreciate that work because we know every single one of you who breaks the diet cycle is making our world more inclusive and safe for others to do the same. It's personal. We get it. That's probably why you're listening to a podcast. It's private and at your own pace. That's why if you've ever found benefit from this podcast, we want you to review and rate us. There are more people like you who want the same benefit. Helping our podcast get found by women like you is the best way to help us further our mission to break the diet cycle. We literally couldn't do it without you. Will you review us after you listen to this episode? Thanks, Tula. The question that is on everyone's mind when they become intuitive eaters, how do you actually let go of the desire to lose weight? And look, Lena, like a lot of clients always tell me, letting go of diets is actually not the scary or the hard part. For at least my clients, they've been dieting since they were 15. So for someone to say to them like, oh, diets don't work. You don't have to pursue that if you don't want to. They're like, I kind of knew that all along Mm -hmm. because I've been going through that. So like, thank you. Instagram community. No problem. Clap, clap, clap. Dust our hands off. We're done with diets. That's actually not the scary part of intuitive eating. What is, is like, okay, but now what? Now what do I do? Because if dieting isn't happening, then weight loss isn't happening. And that's when you start to see that spiral happen of fear and anxiety. What do you see with your folks? Is it like a similar Mm -hmm. thing? 
No, go ahead, finish your thought, girl. My bad. I was just wondering if they usually feel the same way. Like, is it scary to let go of diets or not so scary? And because I think it's different, right? Like the dieting and accepting your body are like two different pieces of work. Yeah. I think that for, at least for my community, what I see the most is that health is intertwined into all of this. So it's not only this idea of like, I know diets don't work. I know that it's not good for me. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's still, and, and this idea of like the weight loss equals health. And if I'm not actively trying to lose weight, then I'm not actively trying to be healthy. And I think that that is the big confusion, right? Because we always equate weight loss with health. And so that muddies the waters when you try to divest from dieting, because in your head, then you're like, well, how am I being healthy then? Mm -hmm. Like, how am I working on my health if I'm not actively trying to shrink myself to be the size I was when I was 15. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And this is what we're going to bring to the table today, Delina, yes. through this episode, because I notice a similar undercurrent for my clients in bigger bodies. And so similar to how you talk about in the Latinx community, there's a lot of message about cultural foods being unhealthy, overweightness being unhealthy, that keeps those messages really front and center for your community. And for the women that I'm working with in bigger bodies, I noticed this with my mom. I just had a conversation with her last week where she, every ache and pain that she has, every time she goes to the doctor's office where like the blood work is a little, whatever it's changing and she's getting feedback about that, her brain activates in a way where she's pulling in every single message she heard from being a little girl that her body was going to lead to disease and death and discomfort and all of the big, scary things that we link. So I'm so happy you said that because I think it's a slightly different source, though certainly Latinx women in bigger bodies are going to have like that double layer of pressure on them as they go to accept their bodies. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you hear the ruffling of Bryson um, eating Oreos. Melissa knows that. Um, it's snack know. time. Yeah, it's snack time. He just got home from school. He just grabbed four double stuffed Oreos. Well, so. <laughs> my man, treat yourself this afternoon. I love hey, that. You know, you gotta, I got to keep working. So She's balancing. <laughs> I think you bring up a really good point, right? And I think that this is the unfortunate part of the healthcare system that has been educated in such a way that we equate body size to health. And then it begins at such a small age where we are hearing, you know, I, I just posted not too long ago about, I don't know where I was posting about diets, but, you know, people were telling me how they started dieting at nine years old or mm -hmm. they went to the pediatrician's office and they were like, oh, you know, you're in the 100th percentile, which you and I know that that doesn't mean anything, mm -hmm. but as a parent, right, they are like, oh, 100% that must not be good. I mean, I have had, I remember this call vividly from a mom who had a one-year-old in the 100th percentile and she called me to work with me and she's hysterically crying saying, mm -hmm. I have to cut carbs because my kid has a pot belly. And I'm like, all babies have pot belly. As a baby. Like when, like, <laughs> that's what they look like. If my face could scrunch yeah. up anymore, it yeah. would like fall apart. But that's diet culture because her pediatrician mm -hmm. told her her one-year-old was in the 100th, per 100th percentile and that she needed to limit their food. Right. Their right. food. And this is the freaking water, as we keep saying, that we're all swimming in. And so your mom, kids, everybody that's listening, Nyla in her health class right mm -hmm. now, 
having to, <laughs> I don't want to even say this. She's like, I'm going to, she told me she had health today. Literally this happened today. She's like, I have health today. What do you want me to say to my health teacher? I was like, nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> She's like, what, yeah. what, 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 what shade are, should I bring to the yeah, teacher? Yeah. And I was like, um, I don't want you to say anything. She's yeah. like, do you want me to tell her that she knows nothing? <laughs> this is hilarious. I, like, I mean, no. <laughs> but she is, she's segueing into a really good point here, which is like body image work and pushing back on yeah. healthism and weight discrimination are separate mm. things. Um, so I kind of love, love that little advocate you yeah. have right there. <sighs> because that would be the ideal, right? Like that would be the ideal that we stop perpetuating these messages. And you and I talk about this. It's going to be work. I think all of us listening, all of you listening and ourselves are like part of this movement to push back and change it. But in the meanwhile, you are a real person who is, you know, we're in the middle of this movement. We're in the middle of getting these messages out there. You're a real person who's thinking back on their past experience going, you know what? I can remember the time that doctor said this or mom said this, or maybe it really isn't linked to health per se, but you have learned it doesn't feel comfortable, for example, to go to a restaurant and find a seat that feels comfortable for you or get on an airplane. You know, these are all fears I talk about with clients regularly. So I want to bring this up because when we think about why it's hard to lose or hard to let go of weight loss, we have to give ourselves grace and understanding that we're doing that work in a context where some people are uncomfortable in their bigger bodies because of the way society is built and the way that you are treated. And Delina and I, as you know, do not have those lived experiences. Those are things that I've learned about secondhand watching my mom through talking with clients, both of us, and by learning from educators who have gone through this. And so as we go through this, I want to remind you that everybody who's listening is going to have different intensity around messages internally. The messages might look different And the work here is figuring out how you want to cope with those messages in your life. Like we're not here to tell you what to do or to not do. And I hope, I think, because clients have told me that can feel like relief sometimes to know that the outcome of exploring body image doesn't need to mean I won't ever try to lose weight again. Yes. That isn't me telling you to go lose weight. Obviously, you guys know me, you know, Delina, we don't tell you to lose weight. But to take the pressure off to say, like, me looking at other ways of thinking about this problem does not mean that I don't have the option to use my body autonomy and go lose weight down the line. What do you think about that approach? Does it take the pressure off your people? Because it takes pressure off my people. And I think it's important for everybody to understand, and this is where we're playing devil's advocate here, like, sometimes thinking of weight loss or pursuing weight loss might help you feel safe Mm -hmm. because you might be in a space or time in your life where fat advocates talk about this all the time. When we talk about anti-fat bias, I think that this is where a lot of this gets muddy where like, yeah, you know, straight size people like you and I are talking, but nobody's talking about the fact that sometimes dieting is safe for some people because Mm -hmm. it's the only way that they might feel accepted. Right. So if you have the privilege to be able to talk to us and work with us or work with somebody else and work on your health outside of intentionally trying to lose weight, then that's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? But it's also okay if you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the safe space we're trying to build for you all here that like, that's probably some of the gripe a lot of people have with this 
Instagram intuitive eating world, right? Is that it feels so polarizing. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that on this show yeah. before. It seems very polarizing because yes, Melissa and I don't know how it feels like, right? And we're talking and, and we're trying to educate you, but you have body autonomy. You have the right to choose. And it's not our job to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. It's our job if you want to learn another way that we are here to help you with that. But, you know, I think that it's important for me to say that. I don't know if you think I went maybe too far, but never, I think that's fair. I think it's important for everybody to know that, right? Like I usually have people, you know, comment on my stuff all of the time, but, 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 but what about health? What about weight? And it's like, again, (laughs) if that's what you want, there's other dietitians out there for you mm-hmm. all, right? Like if this is just a, a point where you're just listening and learning and you're curious, please continue to listen to us. And hopefully we can get you on our side. But if if that's not what's right for you, if that's not what allows you to feel safe, then there are other dietitians and other- You do you. How to do. Yeah. You do you. So we're not here to, to shame anybody or guilt anybody. So going into this conversation with that in mind can often help us to say, okay, like- where am I at right now on my readiness to consider other ways of creating safety for myself beyond the diet cycle? That's really a big, a big old question. If you're saying right now, I am absolutely not ready. Um, heck no. You're going to listen to this. Like, um, like you would listen to any show. Like, wasn't that some interesting ideas that I may never use in my life. I listen to podcasts, interviews all the time of things that I just ain't for me, but I, I like to learn. (laughs) Maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, um, I get it. I don't want to keep choosing dieting. I actually had a group client last night, two different group clients had different points of view on this. This is always interesting. Yeah. In group. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of allowing that difference in the group. And I was, it was summarizing back to them. Like one of the, the persons was younger, hadn't really gone through as much trauma around dieting. Mm-hmm. Versus another person who was a little bit older, had gone through a lot more trauma with dieting. One of them was more clear that dieting actually makes her feel less safe in the long yeah, run. Yeah. And the other person saying, well, right now, I don't know. I'm a little more mm-hmm. on the fence. And both of them are doing solid, amazing anti-diet work. One is not better than the other. And so that's what I want you to do right now. If you're listening is to kind of figure out, like, if you're not fully sure if you want to diet or not again, it's okay. And if you are very sure you don't want to diet again, you're going to be the person who jumps after this podcast episode yeah. and tries this stuff tomorrow <laughs> uh, because that you're going to be more likely yeah. to benefit from this where the other yeah. person might just want to understand what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, in my discovery calls, I'm notorious for saying like, my goal isn't to stop you from ever dieting again. Mm-hmm. My goal is to help you understand that if you fall for dieting or if you attempt weight loss again and it fails, that you know you did nothing wrong, that it wasn't your fault, and that you can try again because intuitive eating is not a linear thing. Mm-hmm. It has bumps in the roads, you fall off, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again. I'm not trying to quote Aaliyah here, but hello. Um, if first you, know, you don't succeed, she's saying it. Dust yourself. You gotta make that baby noise in the back. Remember, was like, no, that oh. was want somebody. Tell me how that's somebody. <laughs> we got our songs and lyrics mixed up here. <laughs> I, I do that all the time. My sisters make fun of me in the car because like I will I will go in with the confidence of like, me too. like just and then in the middle, be like, I don't know what these words are. Like I just can yep. never. We just jacked up 
we made a joke out of all this, but honestly, mm-hmm. as per usual, <laughs> I'm going to reel us back in here. Not my job. Usually it's usually Melissa who does this, but the goal, there's no perfection. There's no, there's no 100% right way to do this. It's that, you know, that intuitive eating and coming back to your body and feeling good in your body is always available to you. And I have heard Evelyn in a podcast talk about how like sometimes her clients are like, but I want to try this diet. And she's like, cool, let's do it together. Let's see how it makes you feel because our job isn't to tell you what not to do. Right. Our job is to be there for you and to listen to you and to help you feel safe. That is it. Right. And that's true coaching and what coaching is. Many people who have worked with dietitians in the past who have more of a style of like, I'm the guru. Here's my method. I'm going to tell it to you. You're going, you're, I'm going to hold you accountable to that method. That is a more prescriptive style of work than more, or more, maybe more educational, like where I'm, I'm the expert and I'm telling you versus coaching, which is more like, Hey, you're the expert in you. I'm going to listen very closely for who you are and what you want. And I'm going to help you get there. So that if that at all helps people understand when you're shopping around for people to help you two different styles. Sometimes people are in the middle. That's why you go to discovery calls to make sure your person's a fit. And you can all right. Around. You shop around. <laughs> all right. I want to talk a little bit more about skills now, because I think we've set the context for where people might be coming from. And we've, we've helped you all decide how you might use the information you're about to hear. Delita, last season, we did the intuitive eating series where we walked through the 10 principles. Yeah. And one of those principles is challenge the food police, which was one of my favorites, all about, you know, disordered thinking that we can have around food. And I want to offer an idea today about that skill. So let's recap for just a moment. The food police voice is the one inside of you that makes you feel guilty shamed or judged for how you eat. And very often that voice comes from past diets we've been on. So your favorite thing to hate, maybe a diet told you don't eat past seven. And now you have a rule to not eat past seven, right? So that would be a food police message. Maybe that policing came from a former caregiver, someone in your life when you were little who would say, you just ate, you know, you shouldn't eat right now. You just, you're not even hungry, those types of messages. Or maybe it just came from the general media and diet culture. So the food police are internalized rules or judgments that came from these places around food. I want to make a leap for a second that there is actually another voice that intuitive eating does not name, but we're going to name right here. And that voice is called the body police. So it has the same tone. It comes from the same places, but the messages have to do with body instead of our plate. What do you think of this idea? Does that, does that work? This idea of a food police and a body police? Well, yeah. I mean, I think we all have the body police. police. I mean, we compare ourselves to everyone all day. That's the name of the game. So that's true too. Body police is going to be the the voice driving comparisons. The reason I point out this voice, the body police, is because depending on your lived experience, so for example, someone from the Latinx community who has grown up with telenovelas, we've talked about this before, is probably going to have an ideal around their bodies Uh that is different than someone else who grew up in a different culture. 
So when you do this work, part of the individualization is surfacing the messages of the body police, because the techniques that you use are going to depend on what those messages have to say. I mentioned this because I think when we hear random tips, we can get frustrated. Like, why isn't it working? And I want to plant that seed to say that Sometimes we need support figuring out what our policing messages are so we can actually pick the techniques that are most connected with those messages. So that can be where a breakdown can happen. We have talked before about the body image spectrum, Delina. What do you know about that body image spectrum? So what are some of the things you've learned about body image on the spectrum? Well, I mean, I think that your infographic is like my favorite thing to use. And I think that, again, that spectrum is like a spectrum on everything in life. Like we we have to let go of this idea that everything is always going to be the same, that we're meant to be stagnant, that like life is perfect and that we're never supposed to change, right? I think think that, that we have to let go of this perfectionism idea, especially around our body and understand that just like we have relationships with people where we don't like them all the time or somebody's <laughs> get on our nerves or like Nyla told me last night, she felt annoyed with me. I got her like a feelings wheel. And I was like, tell me what you're feeling. And she was like annoyed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave now. But like, you can feel annoyed with your body. You can feel neutral to your body. You can feel respect. You can feel love some days. Like you can feel an emotional wheel of different things for your body, which, you know, maybe we should print out an emotional wheel for ourselves. But like, there's such a range of emotions that like body love is not the only thing. And love, when we think about love, you can love someone and again, be annoyed. You can love someone and like be angry at them. You can love someone and not like them at that moment, right? Like, so I think that's what I need everybody to understand about this, that like, when we talk about bodies, we have a shit ton of different feelings towards them and that's okay. And more than one, and they fluctuate and they they change depending on your context and what's going on that day. And so the body image spectrum visual that I've made and Delina's referring to has, you know, I think we could probably adapt it depending on what language resonates with people. But the one that I've shared on one end has the word hate. So this feeling of hatred toward your body. For many of you, that means trying to starve it really beating yourself up, these disordered behaviors that often only feel better if you kickstart a diet. And that's something that many people can identify as they come into intuitive eating, some feelings of hatred. The next rung on that ladder is respect. This is feeling like maybe you don't like your body, but you're going to feed it. You're going to speak kindly to it. You're going to drink, you're going to treat it like a good plant. You're going to water it and give it sunshine and all the things that you need to meet your own needs. Then it moves up to appreciation. So appreciating your body for what it can do, the functions that it has, it moves on to loving your body. And then at the end is feeling like you're more than your body that beauty redefined talks about this a lot, that it's an instrument, not an ornament. You know, this, this is your, your meat suit and uh, dietitian Anna talks about that language a lot, that this really is just a vessel for you to live your purpose, which is being who you are. And so with my clients, I try to get them to think about one, like what Delaine is saying, it fluctuates, you know, because you're feeling hatred in one moment doesn't mean that's permanent. Overall, though, we do want, I think most of us to see the trend of experiences move more towards the neutral and the positive. So that's how we would assess body image over time, right? 
Are you spending more time in the negative versus neutral versus positive, knowing you will always experience all three as a human being? So today, as we go through this, ask yourself, like, where are you on that body image spectrum? Are you feeling most of the time like it's a hatred? Are you respecting yourself most of the time? Are you appreciating yourself most of the time? Where are you most of the time? Selena, can I ask you, where do you find yourself most of the time in your body image? I will say that I am in body respect a lot. And I definitely, you know, I've said it before, I practice a lot of body neutrality when it comes to like my stretch marks and things that I really have struggled with in the past when it comes to like body image. There are days where I look at myself and I'm like, hey girl, you look great. And then there's days where I'm like, oh, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's normal. But I think that I I try to stay in the body neutrality as much as I can, because like you said, I I personally want to view my body as my vessel, not that ornament. And and that's something that I think growing up Latina is really hard because we are paraded. Our bodies are paraded. Like think about like pageant culture. It's so big. Like Miss Universe is so big in our culture. And also like, you know, just like parading yourself for like quinceañeras or like parties or like even in novelas, like the body was always paraded. Parated, parated. Gosh, I don't even know what the word is. That's right. Like, I just don't want that anymore for myself. I personally, what I'm working on is like viewing my body or or knowing that my body is my vessel, my meat suit, whatever it is. It's it's not an ornament. And that's where I'm focusing on. And I know that that everybody's like that. You know, I think that JLo is very much into like my body is an ornament and this is my job. And this is like, I have to look a certain way, right? but I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. And I just want my body. I want to feel good in my body and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good point too. Like other people might value their ornamentation more than you. And it can be hard. I I keep saying this to my husband. Like I find like in a lot of things in my life, like I'm changing my beliefs and like my values. I think I very much was more so worried about how I look. Did I say the right thing? Am I being like, there was a lot of perfectionism within me and more and more. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm caring a little less, but the minute I'm around someone who does care, I'm like, should I care? You know, that, that it's very normal for that to come back. So I love that idea of like, it's okay if someone else chooses a different set of priorities in your life than you, that doesn't make them good or you bad or vice versa. Like it being okay with what you want out of this body image work, where you're at and where you want to go. I'm with you. I think the neutrality is such an empowering goal or focus to have. Most of us want to live for our values a little bit more deeply, like to feel more authentic. We don't, I don't know for me, trying to love my body is spending more time thinking about my body. Like it's like the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm still spending time thinking about my external instead of building my skills as a person and and being a good person or doing the things that I want to do in life. So I'm with you there. And it's a spectrum because of course, like on the holidays or I'm going out, I'm like, oh, I want to look good. I want to wear this cute dress. I want to look fancy. You know what I mean? Like, but that's, that's what we're talking about. It's that there is this spectrum and there's most days I just want to be neutral. I don't want to do that. But then there's days that I do and I want to doll myself up and I want to look good. And like, you can do that. None so let's that talk about that though. Good or bad. I don't think that that lives on the axis of like, caring about how you look or not. I think that like when you dress up, can I just tell you this? I'm going to fangirl. Yeah, yeah. Like you are someone to me who is 
bold, expressive. You like to show up for the people in your life. And I see that in the way that you dress, like the patterns you choose, the colors you choose. Yes. You want to look good. And maybe that overlaps with like ornamentation and pretty ideals and all that shit. But you've also found a way to like express who you are in that fashion and clothing. And I think that that is such a powerful way to frame that. Like if you like doing your hair, because there's something about that that can link to a value that's more than just I'm doing this so that people think that I look acceptable. You, it can be both. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. And I feel like you do such a good job at that. I don't, I don't view it that way. Well, we never see ourselves how others see us, which actually is one of the techniques I want to give folks today. So I want to switch gears into like, how do we maybe practice new ways of being in ourselves? And one of them is actually to consider how your best friend would describe you beyond your weight and size. And I say this because obviously like Delina just pointed out, if I would, if I said to you, like, what do you like about yourself beyond your weight and size? She would probably feel like super duper awkward about it yeah. and shut down and be like, don't ask me as a public lesson. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I had the chulas do this exercise once and I text my best friends and I actually asked them to tell me. Yes. get that And it was so awkward. I'm not going to lie. The most awkward thing, but they made me cry. They made me cry because I was like, y'all never told me these things. <laughs> That would actually, you know, just, you know, not to go fishing for compliments, but go fishing for compliments. It's really helpful sometimes. I've asked my, my husband that before. Where I'm like, what makes me me? Why do you? And he, he, he was like, you're quirky as all hell. You're so goofy. Like, that's something I really love about you. Like, I never know what you're going to say. And that, that was kind of fun to hear because sometimes I tell myself that I'm not like spontaneous or fun and that's not true. So I think when we can get a good sense of like, I call them identity chips. Like what are identity chips beyond the way that we look? Because on days that we have deflated body image, if we look around and we say, well, there's nothing else that makes me me besides when I'm small looking quote put together, my favorite, my favorite phrase that clients often say, and I've said too, what is it that makes you, you, because our self-esteem we can diversify our self-esteem. It's okay if it lives a little bit on how you look, but what would it look like to diversify and let it live on other aspects of yourself? Yeah. It's hard though. It it's is hard, hard because we live in a society that only wants like looks-based things, right? And so again, like, you know, marching at the beat of your own drums, like sometimes you just got to do that. You do, you do. I want to give one more tip here. So one exercise I often give to clients when they say to me, you know, Melissa, let me tell you something. When I was thinner, when I was smaller, I did. I felt like a million bucks. I had no pain in my body and I felt so confident and great. And their memory is that thinness made them feel wonderful. And of course, that if that's your experience, being bigger and staying bigger feels like the opposite which might mean discomfort, not feeling sexy, being in pain. And it would make a ton of sense if you felt a lot of fear around the idea that that would be your permanent state. So this exercise I'm about to share with you isn't to change your mind about your past experience. You were there. I wasn't. So if you're saying that it's, it felt great, I believe you. It felt great for you when you were in a smaller body. And there's a lot of reasons for that beyond the thinness itself. We know that we get more praise when we're thinner. Hello. How many of you have been told, oh my God, you look so good when you lost weight. And then the 
freaking compliments disappear if the weight ever returns. So we know that there's a social context that sometimes makes you feel good when you're thin, but it doesn't matter why you felt good. It matters that you did feel good when you were thinner. So rather than letting that be a block experience, thin equals good, fat equals bad, take a moment and write down why your thinness felt good to you. So get specific. I felt sexier. My clothes fit better. What else, Selena, did you hear? I felt more energized. Uh, I didn't have pain. Yeah, I was just going to say I didn't have pain. Mm -hmm. Anything else? else? I'm sure sure someone's yelling at their uh, audio right now. Yeah. Well, what doesn't matter? Because it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what your experience was. So come up with that list and see if you can invite a tiny brainstorm here. So let's say sexy, right? You felt sexier when you were smaller. Okay, thinness might be one way at accessing that sexy feeling. What are other things that you can do? Show your brain that thinness is not the only avenue for you to get the sexiness, for you to get clothes that fit, for you to find comfort in your body. Another way of tackling this is asking, what would a thin person do? Like if you already had the thinness, how would you enhance the things that you value or need in your life with non-weight related activities or whatever it may be? So that's an exercise one of my clients is doing right now. And she took that with the caveat of like, you don't have to do one damn thing that you write down. We just want to remind your brain and show your brain that if you were to not lose weight, you have options. You're not stuck and claustrophobic in a corner, unable to use weight loss as the tool to get what you want in life that you can still pursue it. Definitely. Probably a very hard exercise to do. Right. But it's like almost how we tell you, like when we think about like health and doctor's visits and things like that, like, what would you tell a thin person? Like what would a thin person do? Right. That's really what it comes down to. Like this idea that like, if you had that, then what else would you do to feel comfortable in your body? I always, I always ask my clients to write down what comforts dieting brought them mm. because we can try to achieve that. That's a good way Non-weight related ways, right? Because dieting brings comfort. We all need, to, it's, it has to be said, it brings community. It brings comfort. It makes you feel good at, at the beginning, right? Not over a short while mm-hmm. or a very short while. So what are those things that you got from dieting? And let's do that now. Mm-hmm. Right. So giving the brain and this, this comes back to that challenge, the food police skill, we've changed it to challenge the body police skill. If you go back to that episode, you can kind of learn more about the different types of distorted or disordered thinking that it can occur. But one of them is all or nothing thinking these judgments and generalizations that we make. And one form of all or nothing thinking is that thin equals good energize whatever positive words you want to assign and fat equals bad, tired, and all the negative words that you want to assign. And this is rooted in anti-fat bias. What we learn, all of us, when Delina keeps saying the water we swim in, the water we swim in is that anti-fat bias exists and we learn these messages through our life. And so this exercise is meant for you to kind of just like look at that a little bit, chip at it a little bit, show your brain it isn't as black and white. Because once you release those judgments, then the fear has less to tack onto. And when the fear gets really big, 
that's when I see clients really freeze up and not get the benefits of intuitive eating that they're wanting. They're, they're in that spiral where like, I can't diet, but I'm too afraid, but I can't diet, but I'm too afraid. And that's what we're really interested in cracking up here so that you have that relief and that peace and that calm that you're wanting. We probably have time for one more tip. I did have some more, but you know, we cannot we cannot give all the, the sauce away in one hour. We try all our best. <laughs> all the sauce. Who, who made the sauce? I made the sauce. She made the sauce. You haven't heard that sauce? My face is very confused right now. What are you doing? <laughs> it's a commercial. I don't have cable and I don't really it's see the TV. Okay. And I also don't drive. And I think Look it's at a TikTok thing. I don't know. All right. Well, add that to the Taco Bell sauce thing. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. There's Go a ahead. lot of weird. There's a lot of weird lyrics in this today. Sorry, guests. Uh, sorry, audience. Okay. So the last thing I want to offer, I'm looking at my little tip list. Let me pick a good one. Oh gosh, there's so many I want to say. I'm going to pick this one. Self-care. Taking care of yourself and meeting your own needs is body image work. I'm going to say that again. Taking care of yourself and meeting your own needs is body image work. When you don't get enough rest, when you don't set boundaries in your life, when you don't honor your basic needs for nutrition, for sleep, for movement, your intellectual needs, your social needs, when those things are not met, body image becomes much more challenging to work with, right? Because if we're not safe and secure and nourished at a base level, we can't expect it to these higher level thinking things. Like we're kind of talking about some self-actualization work where we're like, what's my values? How do I manifest my values? How do I live my best life? If you've ever told yourself, I really got to get my life together. Don't you dare start that until you look a little bit more at your self-care at its root. We can't thrive. So I think that's the last tip I want to impart upon all of you, that if you are in a place of body hate and you want to get to more neutral, you want to get to body respect, like Delina and I like to hang out at, what would it look like to meet your needs? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, there's just no other way of saying it. Like you can't do this work until your brain is nourished. Mm -hmm. Body image is very mental. Yeah. Right. And if you're not fully nourished, your brain, you know, can't entertain these thoughts. Really? No, it's not going to feel right. Right. And that's where I think community and support can be helpful because again, back to that loop that a lot of people find themselves in, like you're afraid to nourish yourself more because your brain's telling you things like, well, I'm already so big. How could I possibly need more food? You know, those kinds of food police messages, that leave you feeling judged, that bring up fear, guilt, and shame, it winds up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that you stay stuck and uncomfortable because you're not, it's a self-limiting thought in that way. And so that's why the support and the inspiration of communities like ours is so, so important. I know this stuff is so hard to wrap your head around. And I want you to give yourself so much credit for keeping an open mind today. You know, at the start of this episode, you were asking whether or not you might be able to let go of weight loss. And now you have lots of ideas to experiment with. That's a big difference. Helping you feel less alone and unlearning generational diet trauma is what I do. I do it because I wish anyone had told my mom in her bigger body that being prescribed and praised for diets her whole life was not okay treatment. You know, I wish anyone connected her with fellow ex-dieters to make her feel less alone. And right now, women are coming together through the No More Guild community membership to learn intuitive eating through my repeatable framework. This membership keeps you inspired to focus on taking things one step at a time, which is so desperately needed after you felt overwhelmed by dieting and the intuitive eating process for so long. 
We keep you motivated as you get coached through the process with weekly office hours and meetups, and you get 24-7 access to a discussion board with women in bigger bodies who are also recovering from generational diet trauma. If you've been doing intuitive eating and body image work on your own, spinning your wheels, it's okay to say, you know what? I don't know what I don't know. Sometimes a little support is all we need to get where we want to be in life, which is why I'm inviting you to become a member of the No More Guilt community. My member Kelsey said it best. She said, it's so inspiring to see women go through the struggles that I do and then keep going on in this work. It makes me want to keep going too. Kelsey loves watching fellow members dust themselves off, get inspired and keep experimenting with the consistency of the membership in their lives. That's what inspired Kelsey to do what it takes to make intuitive eating her way of life. Not some big aspirational, it could never happen for me idea. She's been supported enough through membership to learn this for life. That's exactly what our goal is together. If you're looking for a way to get your feet wet with deeper work on intuitive eating and body image, head over to my Instagram page, nomoreguilt at no.more.guilt. My link in bio will have the information you need to join us in membership, or you can DM me with any hesitations you have. Thanks for being here with us for today's episode and being who you are. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.